1: Hey everyone, this is John Beck with Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are now listening to the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey Don. How you doing Kevin?
0: Good, good. You're on my friend, man. You're good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about that. Can you hear me okay? I, I can hear you great, yes. Um...
0: Hey, I, I've been listening to all – I'm watching all your videos, man. I feel like I know you.
1: <laughs> well, you know, that's 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 <laughs> probably not going to be too high on your list, but that's flattering. <laughs> that's very high, very high. I, I know a good
0: PE teacher when I see one, and I, um, I, I appreciate uh, – I'm always stealing stuff. You, I'm sure you've done the same, but um, we've already used some of your activities, man. The kids love it. Matter of fact, uh, uh, today – um, we were playing. Um, God, I'm trying to remember the game we played today on that uh, the big volleyball. Actually, the big ball volleyball game that you oh, uh, winner winner's court, winner's court, man. I love that. Matter of fact, yeah. I gotta that's, uh, tell you that's, that's a great game. And I tell you, my third grade third graders, and they were knocking that ball all over the place, man, it's, it's a great. I should have used it before. It's something simple, but um. You know, some great. I love how I love the simple rotations that you have for it. Instead of two teams, you have three.
1: Well, and you're not, you're only out for one point, you know, so that's, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, it's not like you're standing on the side. And, but that particular activity, you know, through the years proved to be, I mean, it, it was one of the ones, of course, kids, you know, kids ask for, you know, they got their favorites, but, uh, that's always been one that, you know, the kids would come in and say, "Hey, yeah, you know, let's let's do winter's court." You know, and I and I've modified it to where I've even done it with kindergartners. Now how? Yeah, I'm
0: going to ask you about your top games a little bit later. But how would you modify that for for the little
1: ones? Well, you just pick it up and throw it back over. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, that, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, almost it's almost like a brand of Newcomb. But, even, but with the kindergartners, it's not, it's not so much, you know, keeping any kind of score. I'd just let two teams – and I'd put two or three balls out there. And right. they'd throw them back and forth. And then when I'd tell them to, that's when they'd rotate. And all that, all that was just as a lead up so that when we actually got the second and third grade and did that game, they'd be familiar with the process.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we, we play the Newcomb game. We play it with kind of a uh training volleyball. Yeah. But we use it, but I just the two teams just doesn't work. I mean, number one, there's there's too much standing around. I don't want any standing around in my PE class. And, and I really appreciate this size. It's simple, but I really I really love the game. It's a great game and the kids like it, which is more important.
1: Yeah, there's a uh I don't know if I, I got it on a video or not, but I can send you a handout It's a, and it's certainly not my game. It's, it's called Danish rounds. It's okay. a so- softball lead up game. I mean, it is absolutely awesome. And uh, but I don't I don't know if we did that one on on either one of those videos. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll uh, I'll send you an email and attach this handout. It's about 50 pages. <laughs> okay great. Oh, great man well what what <laughs> it is it's basically all those games that are on those those two dvds and then a lot of line dance stuff see i did a couple line dance dvds as well
0: so, yeah and i want I want to add that into my curriculum and i um because i have a i have a nine week curriculum but basically i um i teach k5 so i teach all the kids so right you know so and that's what I was going to, you know, ask you a little bit later on curriculum design and so forth. But before I do that, hey, tell the listeners. I have a lot of coaches that listen, but I also have a lot of just great PE teachers that listen to this. And um, tell me about your journey and how you became such a such a really great PE coach, and not only that, your experience in coaching. And I think you've done it all. I thought I did it all, but I think you've done it all. <laughs> But just tell, uh, tell a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, you know, I grew up in a real small town in uh, West Virginia. We probably had maybe twenty five hundred, three thousand people in the town, and uh, and as I was growing up, I I came from a welfare family, and as as I was growing and watching people in town, the folks who seemed to be the most most <laughs> what they were doing were the school teachers. And of course, those are the people we had contact with every day. And as I got more involved with things like scouts and 4-H and this and that, all the people who headed up those activities were involved with the schools. The school teachers are actually the scout masters and the 4-H leaders and and those types of things. And I was very fortunate, uh, you know, when I was in, you know, fifth and sixth grade, uh, we had a little student teacher like program where we would help some of the younger kids with more, more particularly math stuff. And that carried over when I got into seventh and eighth grade, I went to a little high school that had seventh through 12th grade. And the lady who was the physical education teacher there was absolutely light years ahead of her time.
0: Mm-hmm. She ran
1: an intramural program that would, I mean, this was back 19, you know, 60s. And, you know, she she was doing stuff that I didn't see professionally until, you know, late 70s, early 80s. I mean, she right. was awesome. But she allowed me to come in my study hall time. There was an elementary school right beside the high school. And I would assist her, kind of like a student aide. And when she did elementary <laughs> physical education, I would help her during my study hall time. And so as I went through high school, you know, my desire was, was to become a teacher and more specifically a physical education teacher. Uh, the coaching was something that just kind of, you know, fell into all this. Uh, I was very small. I wasn't but 5'2 when I graduated from high school and weighed a whopping 107 pounds. <laughs> right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Luckily, I went to a little 1A high school. Uh, I was able to play basketball. And did did fairly well. Uh, baseball, you know our, our teams were were spot on. we had a great time with that. Uh, funny story about football. I'd played in the seventh and eighth grade and when it come time my ninth grade year I was going to go out for varsity football and I showed up first day and the coach, coach wouldn't give me equipment. <laughs> I was about maybe 4,10, might have weighed 75, 80 pounds. And uh, he just he just said he wasn't going to take responsibility of putting somebody <laughs> that out on the field. So so my football career was you know uh, cut pretty short. I you know I played seventh and eighth grade, and that that was that. But uh, you know as I got into college, uh, I stayed involved with athletics. Uh, I went to Glenville State College in West Virginia. At that time, we had maybe eight nine hundred students. Uh, I didn't make any of the college teams, but I practiced some with the basketball team, caught batting practice for the baseball team. A lot of the guys who were on the athletic teams were fellows who lived at the fraternity house, you know, where I was. And so, you know, I just, I stayed in touch with sports that way and, uh, you know, picked up tennis along the way. And, uh, so, uh, when I got a job teaching, yeah, I, I just started coaching the first year. I, I was assistant football coach and coached JV basketball and tennis. And as the years went on, I dabbled in several different sports. Uh, mainly my main coaching experiences were as far as really knowing what to do with anything. Uh had about 30 years where I coached uh, JV level football and basketball helped the varsity basketball a couple of years but i enjoyed the the non non-threatening less pressure uh setting of the jv team so, sure yeah you know, i could help get the kids ready and send them on to the varsity coach and you know he was pleased with how i did things i used a lot of his terminologies but still did you know a program that i felt was suitable for the for the kids that i had and, and my main goal in coaching was I just I, – I wanted the kids to understand that, you know, the effort they put in was for them. It, it wasn't about me. And uh, I would – if you know, I'd keep 12 kids on the team. I'd play every kid in every half of every game. And uh, we were quite successful. Uh, football, you know, I made a deal with the JV football kids. You practice hard Monday through Wednesday. You're playing Thursday night, and that's more than a minute. You make sure your parents are there. And if I had – I had one year I had 61 kids on JV football team and I played all 61 in every half of every game and we lost one game in like four years. Uh, but it's just – you know, you get kids to believe in what they can do. Uh, but you got to trust that. Uh, you know, I, I respect, you know, what coaches do. It's uh, – you know, there's a thousand ways to coach every sport and everybody's got to find what fits – what they want to see happen and what their basic philosophy is. Uh, I'm very competitive, but, you know, the winning, winning of the actual games uh, kind of became secondary. It was something that we enjoyed. Uh, you know, I had a lot of success doing that, but I also had three years of tennis in a row. We didn't win a match. We were 0-14 three years in a row and probably had some of the greatest times in coaching with those kids on those tennis teams I've ever had that, uh, that's pretty much, you know, and as, as years went on, you know, I became involved in making present. I started making presentations to other teachers in physical education, like in 1976, I came out of college with a, a real good background of how to organize classes, uh, I learned the use of activity centers, had a college instructor that really stressed, you know, using centers to divide activities up, keep your kids involved, the whole class, less standing around like you were talking about earlier, uh, and just kept things moving. And uh, did a lot, I introduced a lot of team teaching, uh, student selection programs early on my teaching career with other teachers I worked with and uh p e supervisor at uh you know the district I was working in uh he was he was very supportive and started getting me to help some of the teachers at the other schools you know kind of tap into what we were doing because he liked the fact that you know we had this total participation you know throughout the program and very few if any discipline problems so uh and then yeah, I hooked up with the guys that were working in our State Department. I uh, started doing things around North Carolina. Uh, word of mouth spread. and next thing I knew, I was in Virginia in West Virginia and Ohio and South Carolina. I uh, worked for about oh, probably 18, 19 years for a gentleman in California named Cliff Carnes. Cliff had what was called the education company. And he was the first person who put professional speakers out you know, for physical education, uh, you know, he had, you know, Bob Pangrazi, Rudy Benton, uh, you know, I mean, some big, big names. I, you know, I was, I was small fish in a big pond there that, uh, it was very flattering. Uh, like I say, he had, he had different different circuits that he worked and I'd take a week in the spring and a week in the fall. And we'd do like five cities in a row each of those weeks. And throughout those 18 years, I mean, I did presentations in all the states except for Hawaii, Alaska, uh, North and South Dakota. Why we never went to North and South Dakota, I don't know. I'm sure they have schools there.
0: <laughs>
1: but, uh, but yeah, Cliff Cliff afforded me a lot of opportunities. And, uh, and as a result of that, I even, you know, set up my own little consulting firm. I did things, you know, on my own at the same time I was working with him. And uh, all that lasted, you know. Well, I'm still doing them. Matter of fact, I did a presentation last Wednesday for our local school district, and I'm doing one this coming Saturday for our state conference. It's a spring leadership conference at uh, Black Mountain, North Carolina, out in the western mountains. So, uh, you know, I taught for 38 years, retired in 2009, and uh, but still stay involved. There's a really probably the best BE conference I've ever worked. It's called Share the Wealth. It's at Jekyll Island, Georgia. Each January, towards the end of the month, Um, it's sponsored now by the Georgia Aford Association. It was sponsored for years by Valdosta State University. This past year was our 32nd year, and I'm pleased to say I've been able to work with them all 32 of those years. And uh, it's uh, it's actually uh, has a little international. Flair to it. We've had folks from overseas and several different countries come. Uh, we've we've been able to maintain our attendance between six and eight hundred people, and uh, it's just it's tremendous. I mean, it is a practitioners' conference. It goes from Thursday night till Saturday afternoon, and it's just you know wall to wall folks just sharing the best things that they have to offer, and some of the bigger name presenters, you know. Chip Candy, John Smith, JD Hughes, you know, uh we get folks from from all over Jim DeWine from Texas. I mean, we just have folks come from all over the place to help with the program. But uh that in a nutshell is how I've ended up where I'm at, Kevin.
0: <laughs> I love
1: it. Uh, I love your experience. And I tell you what I what I sense,
0: um some of the best teachers, PE teachers and coaches that I know, because that are not former college athletes i've seen too many times where coaches get hired based on their 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 college experience their playing experience and they put them in pe and this just doesn't work sometimes I, and I, what i'm saying is you love sports for what it provides for the kids kind of a vehicle for the kids you can tell you're all about the kids Um, and you're very similar to me in the sense that uh, I didn't play college ball and so forth. I got into athletics because I've had a lot of mentors and people, great PE teachers, elementary teachers, middle school PE teachers that I still remember, and great coaches. And I think that – I think we're almost kind of a – it's a different type of breed, don't you think? I mean, so many teachers get in there, and they're not – it's not – they're not really – they don't really love teaching PE Mm. Uh, what do you think?
1: Well, about well, what happens? Uh, you know, there, I'm, I'm hesitant. I, I don't, I don't. I'm not critical of folks who get caught up in a situation that was un. I, I think it's unfair to them because what you have, uh, there are a lot of folks who are in charge. They have dual roles. They're in charge of athletics for their school system. And at the same time, they're in charge of physical education for their school system, and a lot of those people have gotten those jobs because they were former coaches, and not necessarily the best former teachers. If that makes any sense, right? For sure. And and, and so where the emphasis comes in, uh, I love I love school athletics. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I I think they play a you know, vital part in the, in the livelihood of a school and a community, but, uh, you know, there are situations where they get overplayed to the point to where, you know, you lose, you lose sight of what your real job is. Uh, you know, I, I, I have gotten, you know, I've, I've done, I'm one of the few, few presenters who do all grade levels. And I'm one of the few presenters who really love doing workshops for middle and high school folks, mostly because of my athletic director background and my coaching background, because I know the world they live in. But I'm also, I can look at them in a very compassionate way and bring them back down to earth and get them to understand the real reason they were hired was to teach the children in their PE classes first. Yes, sir. Yeah. I agree. The coaching, you know, if you were only hired to be a coach, then, you know, go work at Walmart during the day and come on the afternoon and coach. But, you know, there are some there are some systems actually do that. They have coaches that don't teach and and more power to them. I mean, if the public can accept that and that's what they want, then so be it. But if you're going to tell someone we're going to we're going to pay you 95 percent of your salary to be a teacher then I want you to spend more than that much time on your job as a teacher. I don't expect you to spend 85, 90% of your time as a coach and then come into the classroom so unprepared that you look like a buffoon. And, uh, you know, that part upsets me, but I had a college instructor. He, you know, he, he was pretty candid and, and, he, and he had a little thing. He, he looked out over the class one day. He says, guys, let me tell you something. He said, if you're going to be that PE teacher, just, you know, his, his philosophy was do the best you can do. Yeah. Just that simple. Just, just do the best you can do. He said, if you're going to be that PE teacher, just rolls the ball out. He said, for crying out loud, he said, put a little spin on it. You know, (laughs) (laughs) and you know, it's not, uh, they're good people. Uh, I've got some dear friends who are great coaches and they're pathetic PE teachers. And, uh,
0: I love your honesty
1: Well, and and they, you know, and when they have conversations with me, they're very open and honest about the fact, I mean, they, they sing my praises. They, they just, you know, matter of fact, I I was talking to a gentleman today uh, who kind of fits that category and uh, you know, but, and at the same time, he he's probably one of my biggest fans in terms of how I've been able to balance my basic philosophy of coaching and still, you know, did such a, you know, a hard job and a, you know, a detailed job of teaching my classes. And, uh, you know, so, yeah. And I, and over the years I've gotten some really neat letters from places I've gone, you know, up in the Northeast, all over the country, you know, I'd have guys in my workshops who had been, I mean, they were icons coaching their sport in their school district, in their state. They had numerous state championships. And, uh, you know, they'd, they'd send me notes after these one day workshops about how much I inspired them to want to go back and do their teaching job as well as they did their coaching job, you know, because I, you know, those kids in those classes, let's say, let's say you're a football coach at the high school and you've got four PE classes or three PE classes you coach during that day. Well, if, if those kids, you can turn them on to being self-respectful and respect the effort that you're putting in to help them be better people, then they're going to come and watch your football team on Friday night. And that'll put more money in your athletic budget because they, you know, it's basically the, you know, 8th, 9th, 10th graders. A lot of them aren't driving yet, so mom and dad's going to have to bring them. Uh, you know, if you do your job well in the classroom, it'll help your athletic teams in ways, whether they play on your teams or not. You know, so it's, it's a community thing. Because uh, physical education is where we see the kids about, I mean, they, they can't hide. They are who they are in PE class. They can go in a math class or a history class or an English class, and they can sit quiet, and the teacher will never know hardly anything about them. But once you put a kid in a movement situation where they have to make snap judgments and work with other people, you find out real quick who those kids are. And it's wonderful. It is so much fun to watch. And uh, I've just never gotten tired of it. And in the summers, oh, I had about 27, 28 years I worked in camping programs for mentally and physically handicapped children. And those experiences were, were also things that added, you know, cause I, I still, you know, I've done a lot of, uh, workshops that, you know, that take in special populations and, uh, literacy. And I mean, I, I've just run the whole gamut and, uh, but, uh, you know, you're right. I have a passion for this and, uh, I always have and I always will i guess i hope it never goes away
0: yeah and you can't you can't teach passion right but you can actually <laughs> spread that it can be contagious and you can feel that uh, when you're talking you can definitely see that when you're teaching those activities on your video and so forth and that's why i'm contacting you why why do you continue to love to share with other teachers you will, are, is it all about impacting other people so they can help their students out. Why do you continually do that instead of just, you know, just kind of just hanging loose and so forth in your home? You're out here still working.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, uh, I think I have a gift. And uh, I think I was meant to share that. And the gift is simply to help people look inside themselves and see that they're really worthwhile and that there's value there. It's not just about teaching physical education. Oh, I want, I want to help you learn how to run and jump, skip and throw and, and all those types of things. And, you know, be involved with other, but, but what I want you to really see is that you are worth something as an individual. Uh, I met a gentleman. Oh, probably midway through my career uh you probably i don't know if you've ever heard of ambrose brazelton or not but he has had an influence on what you do whether you realize it or not he was one of the early pioneers of of education and in more particular physical education that had a philosophy that was so child oriented and so people oriented and i just had a real distinct pleasure of not just getting to see him professionally, but he and I became dear friends, and uh, to this day, his influence on me, uh, well, it just can't be measured. Plus, a gentleman from out in Tennessee named Lee Olsbrook, uh, another man that's greatly influenced what I've done. Uh, a fellow from California named Rudy Benton, a gentleman from West Virginia, Al Canonico. These were all guys that I met early in my teaching career that were just absolute icons of being people, people oriented. And, uh, you know, all of them have continued. Well, sorry to say, Mr. Brazelton passed away here three or four years ago, but the other, other fellows are, you know, they're still alive. They're older than me and, and still doing things that they think are important to help, you know people in education just you know do the best job they can do and uh, you know braz Braz wrote several poems, and I used one at you know almost at the end of all my presentation. It simply says, "I'm not concerned what's best for me or what's in fashion or style, and we pledge to do a conscience for what's best for every child and he says, even though problems and programs and people distract with the eyes on the money purse we commit ourselves in every act, keeping children first. And those, those influences I've had, I guess, you know, I'll just, I'll just do it. I can't do it anymore. And, uh, yeah, you know, I try to, every, everybody asks me why I smile all the time. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm a happy guy. Yeah. You know, I've been truly blessed and, uh, got it. You know, a tremendous family, wife and two, two great sons and daughter-in-laws and four grandchildren and, yeah, you know, I'm. Yeah, you know, I'm still able to get out and do things. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's just it's easy to get up in the morning. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Um, but <clears throat> what I, what I love is, um, and my my podcast is about I interview coaches, PE teachers, and I absolutely love this. And of course, guys like yourself, um, legends of PE, I call you. Um, <laughs> oh, great, great. Coaches from all around the country, basketball coaches. And my job is, and I feel like my my role is to help other coaches. I, I gotta be um and, and it's through guys like you who can share your wisdom. And not only I'm learning, but the listeners are really just writing notes down all the time. I want I want listeners, you're having a great impact on on a lot of people. Tell me about your activities because I want my listeners to write down so many of your activities that you're doing. And we, I already use a bunch of them, like Rock, Paper, Scissor Challenge, Ultimate Handball, Winner's Court, great games that I just picked up just <laughs> recently from you. Um, it, I noticed that the kids are all having a great time in your classes and they're all engaged and active. Is this the main premise of your activities?
1: Well, I do what I consider to be non-threatening, success-oriented activities. Uh, I could take a sheet of newspaper and entertain a group of 30, 40 kids for an hour. (laughs) Uh, It's just, uh, it's not so much what you do. It's the attitude that you present it. It's uh, you know, if the kids, you know, you've got to, you got to get the kids to understand really one simple thing. It's for them. It's not about you. If you can't teach without your ego being on the line, then you're just not going to be a happy teacher. Leave your ego in the trunk of the car when you get to school in the morning. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. Uh, smile. Uh, you know, if you do make a mistake, you make them. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let you think every every day I've had's been great. There's been days I wished I never went to school. Uh, the worst days I've ever had when are the days I've showed up thinking I can just pull this off the top of my head. You've got to have a plan. And It's got it's got to be organized to the point to where, you know, you're not wasting those kids time because they can sense that in a heartbeat, especially if, you know, they've been used to you coming in day in and day out, working for them, not with them. That's a big key. I work I work for the kids. And when I do presentations, I work for the teachers. Uh, You know, it's not. Yeah, you know, every every ounce of effort that I put into something is for somebody else. It's not for me. I know I do a good job. I don't have to have anybody to tell me that. Uh and uh I don't I don't live for that recognition. But I really, really get a kick out of kids just coming up and saying, Man, that's cool. You know, or they you know, they come back and the parents come in, they they're all upset because they had to take their kid out of school early one day and they missed PE. And they said that they tell me I ruined their whole trip because the kid had to miss PE. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, yeah. You know? yeah. But as far as specific activities, uh, you know, oh, I can name all kinds of things, but I just encourage folks you, you find things that you like to do. And then structure them in a way that fits your situation. Some people, you know, I could tell you some things to do that were meant to be done in a gym, but not everybody has a gym. There are no elementary gyms in the state of Florida. Uh, first time I went down did some presentations in Florida, I had all these activities that were designed for, you know, wooden or tile gym floors. And these people looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, what's wrong? They said, we don't have a gym. Yeah, you know, they have covered asphalt areas outside. Mm. And I mean you talking about some battles being won. Uh you know, I my I have so much respect for the folks who teach elementary physical education in the state of Florida. It's it's just unreal. Uh I mean they they really but not just there. I mean there's situations all over this country uh that people are teaching in the corner of vacant classrooms or i had a real good friend here in in north carolina his only inside uh place to teach was an old kwansa hut like you'd find on a military base uh i mean he'd just tell the kids straight up you know unless it's rain or snowing outside wear something warm we're out of here and uh but uh you know it 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 becomes that type of thing where that word passion that we, we've thrown out here a couple of times, you, you've got to have that. If you don't have it, then I pretty much think you, you just have a job. You can be a teacher, but if you're not a passionate teacher, you you just have a job. And I, I don't want a job, you know, I want, I want something I can look at at the end of the day and, and, feel excited about wanting to get back there the next day you know if it's if it's drudgery it's just a job If it's something you really enjoy doing you don't mind getting up tomorrow and going back again and that's just the way I've always done it
0: yeah and I know of my elementary kids and I'm the only elementary teacher I'm very lucky and those kids man you better bring it every day man because they bring it (laughs) I mean, it's like now it. it I I have a nine-week um, uh, teaching uh, unit. I, I have my kids. I have a different group every nine weeks. So our nine weeks is almost up. And it's like, man, they're like crying. It's like, oh, we have to go to music. You know, it's like, or Spanish. It's like, well, those are great. Those are great specials. But, man, they love PE. And I think the main reason why is they can get out and move, man, and really have fun um i would like to see other teachers do that more almost take a a pe philosophy to the classroom because kids want they want to move man they want to be active don't they
1: well they do and uh but you know um probably the most difficult job in education is is elementary classroom teacher um they get a lot thrown at them get a lot put on them and uh you know, it's just—I uh, don't know. Um, I have a lot of a lot of empathy for them. Uh, my hats off to them. They fight battles that you and I just don't have to fight, right? Uh, and the structure you have, as far as being nine weeks, you know, that's unique to your school. Uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of public school situations, they'll have they'll have like instead of for nine weeks you know most of the elementary settings i was in i saw i saw each class you know once a week but then they would go to a music teacher or an art teacher or or media or a foreign language you know uh, on other days you know i'd see him the whole year but i'd only see him once a week for like yeah. 30 minutes yeah and uh i don't you know that 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 you know, you had to be pretty creative. Uh, I got to where I never really never really taught much in units. I would take a group of skills and focus on them, but golly, I'd have so much going on in that 30 minutes. I might have, you know, four or five centers operating and dealing with, you know, half dozen different skills. Uh, but, uh, you know, but here again, it's it's not so much I still – my my major contention is is not the what you're doing, but the why, and then the what becomes totally irrelevant. You know, I I could get kids excited about you know very little of anything that involves any any kind of extra equipment or any kind of game structure because you know they they would know that the reason we were really doing this was, was for them to grow and to develop. Uh, and you know, once, once you get them hooked on that and they're excited about coming to you because you're giving them life lessons as well as physical education lessons, then, you know, it just, you know, it becomes, it just becomes exciting every day. know, and then the bad days you have, they're okay. They'll pass. You know, the kids work with you. Uh, and I've had situations where I've gotten frustrated and disgusted and, you know, uh, angered by certain types of behavior and said things to classes and children that I probably shouldn't have. And I would immediately, well not immediately, but later on in that day, I, I have gone to a classroom and knocked on the door and asked the teacher if I could speak to the class and she you know, look at me kind of funny. I said, well, I said, something transpired in my physical education class. I wasn't real proud of. I need to talk to these children. And I just tell them straight up, you know, I made a mistake. You know, I didn't handle the situation that we had as well as I could have. I'd also stress to them. I I wasn't necessarily pleased with the behavior I had to deal with, but I was more displeased with how I handled it. I'm the adult in the room, and uh, I let my, you know, aggravation get the best of me wh- instead of handling it the best that I could. But that's just being real. If if you're not going to be real and honest to the kids you work with, then, you know, it's going to be hard for you to look yourself in the mirror. And uh, I can do that very easily. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that would ever – be able to tell you that I didn't, I didn't do a worthwhile job. And that's, that's been a, that's been a major goal of mine. You know, if anything, somebody says something about me, you know, uh, I think for the most part, it's going to be positive.
0: Yes. And I think uh, that's how you build relationships. I think a kids appreciate that. Anybody appreciates that when you're honest with them, when you admit you made a mistake and uh, I don't, Not sure if there's enough of that, but I think I think kids, you you gain a lot of respect from the kids when you do that. Let's talk about how do you how do you improve the relationships and the class management through routines and protocols? I feel like that's the key to successful teaching. Why is it important to have good routines and protocols
1: in a P.E. class? Well, you got to have structure. Um, uh, now once, once you establish that, then you can have organized chaos. <laughs> you know, I, uh, you know, I had routines that I had kids, you know, they, they come in, there was one or two or three things that were going to happen. Uh, I would put numbers on the wall and group the kids in kind of like squad settings. Uh, I'd either have them come in and sit in front of those numbers or I'd have them come in and sit around a circle or I'd have them come in and line up on a certain line. And, uh, you know, I'd have that kind of structure at the beginning of class. So if I had to have anything immediate that needed to be said, you know, uh, then then I took care, I took care of that kind of business, you know, early on in class. Uh, and I had, I had situations where, you know, I'd in class much the same way. You can't just say go line up. Uh, you know, you gotta have you gotta have ways of of winding down, putting some closure on what you've just done. It might not be more than 15, 20 minute statement, but you you have to make a statement to them at the end of class. And if you don't say anything but thank you, it's gotta be that much. And then that kind of helps calm them down, get them back into their place. And I'd have a certain way that they needed to line up to leave the areas. These are for the, you know, I, and I did this even when I taught senior high school. Uh, you know, I taught several years of secondary school. And uh, I ran the same type of program in senior high school I did in elementary school. Matter of fact, one senior high I worked at. We, we had we were probably one of the few senior highs and had bean bags, hula hoops, and playground balls <laughs> and uh, but uh, I had the same type of structure, and I ran the same type of activity stuff as well as doing all the team sports things. but but just having those types of routines built into your day and doing them consistently, and, and as far as behavior goes, you had to have some set things. Yeah, uh, you know, I had, you know, I held held children accountable. Uh, you know, I I would not, never have, never will. I will not tolerate a child getting their kicks at some other child's expense. You know, some people call that bully. I call it just being a knucklehead. You know, <laughs> uh, it's not always bullying, and it's and most of the time it's just not understanding what you're saying and doing. And so, uh, but you can't just let it slide. You you have to deal with it. You can't be afraid of confrontation, but you can't be the bully in the room as the adult either. You know, you have to have a a compassionate way of dealing with these things. And a lot of times I just simply set kids out for a while. uh, And uh, that seemed to do the trick. And And at my choosing, I'd go over and talk to them. Uh, sometimes I leave them there rest period. And, uh, but, uh, I would have a discussion with that child before that class was over and made sure that that child understood exactly why they were put in that position. And, uh, then they're just, you know, you, you keep your avenues of communication open. You don't paint yourself in a corner. You don't tell a child or a group of children, if you do a, then I'm going to do B. Uh, you're cutting your own throat there. Always just tell them, use the word may, you know, if you do this, I may, or I might do that, you know, and just because one person does something at a certain time and another person might do the same thing, I still reserve the right to deal with each one of them as individuals. I might do something completely different with one as opposed to the other. But those are all, you know, communication skills. And, you learn those as you as you have experience. There's no college that's going to give you that when you first show up to teach. It takes years to break that in and build it into your program. Uh, but you have to have that understanding. If you're going to be in control, then you got to be in control. If you want the kids to be in control, then you need to quit teaching and go on and do something else. And the same thing on the athletic field. You know, I I'd, I'd keep twelve kids on a basketball team. And first first practice I'd have with those 12 is plain and simple. One of the first things I would say, I'd say, gentlemen, i said, congratulations. I said, we're going to have a great year. I said, we're going to practice an hour and a half. And I said, I don't intend to repeat anything. I said, you need to pay attention to me. I said, I know more about basketball than you do, and that's just the way it's going to be. And I said, I expect you to be able to perform when I ask you to perform, because I'm going to play every one of you in every half of every game. And I did that. And, uh, but it's just a matter of structuring things. You know, somebody's got to be in charge. And I've never has never been hesitant about being that person. Matter of fact, it's to a fault. I, I kind of, I told several principals that when, you know, I go to a different school, I said, look, worst thing you do is put me on a committee. I said, I'm not going to do anything but hack everybody off. I said, don't. Don't put me in a situation where I gotta stand and sit and listen to people just waste my time. If you got got a proposition, put it out there. You know, if you're just gonna run your mouth, so somebody can listen to you, I'm not your guy. I said, please don't put me on a committee. I'm gonna make all those people angry because I'm gonna take over. <laughs> and that's just, yeah, it's just that's just what I did. Uh, and there were some committees where I was politely asked to leave. But uh suited me just fine. I just, just but people understood that if I came to them with a proposal, it wasn't something that just popped into my head. I've thought it through, I've thought about consequences, I've ran that thing down and organized it four or five different ways. And then if it's still not what we need, that's okay. But at least, you know, we're going to give something a try. And uh it's not gonna be something that somebody just flippantly said, well, let's do this. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm a sticker on being organized. And when I do presentations, I have a note card. I still have note cards from presentations I made in
0: 1976.
1: <laughs> and I'll I'll keep these cards and if I get asked back, I can look on there, I can see all the activities I've done. And then that way I don't repeat the same programs. I don't have a canned presentation. I try to make my presentations match what that school district has asked for. But they're so detailed. It might say from 815 to 818, we're doing this, 818 to 827, we're doing that. And I go through the whole day that way. And that's the way I run my athletic practices. Guys, guys that were my assistant football coaches, I'd hand them a note card at first to practice. It'd say from two thirty 2.30 to two thirty eight such and such, you know, all the way through to four forty five. And uh Every now and then, one of them say, "Well, I might need some little, some extra time today." I said, "That's what you're getting. Make it work," and we'd stick with that plan. (laughs) So, you know, uh, I guess in in a lot of ways, I'm just, yeah, I I guess I'm a little general, but I got a big heart. So, uh, and I talk a
0: lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's great, and that's what you know. We want to hear your wisdom. Um, I I definitely, I definitely agree. You got to have expectations. And I'm always, I'm always like guys like Ben Landers, Pete Charette, man, these guys I learned from. And, um, what we have in our class, we have in our classroom is these three rules, respect yourself, respect others, respect this place. It's simple. Um, and we have to go over that every day because every time each day is different. The kids come in with different issues and so forth. Um, but what I really believe is, you got like you were saying, you got to have consequences for those kids that do not follow the rules. I think you got to follow up on things, don't you think? And what oh, absolutely nice. what I have is, you know, um, you know, number one is a warning. Number two, it's a sixty second count. You got to count to sixty Mississippi, and then three is you're on the bench, which means you got to fill out a little sheet for them, and they got to have it signed by the parents. Do you have that type of program? How, what do you do with kids that are not behaving in your class, but do it in a positive way?
1: Well, what you do, you got to be quick enough to make an assessment right away. If it's a real problem or it's just something that's going to, you know, pass right away. Uh, generally kid. I mean, I, I'm, I'm observing these kids. I'm watching what's going on and I'm, I'm seeing what's happening. And invariably, you're going to get some child come over and say, so-and-so's done such and such. And I'll look at them knowing full well. I mean, I just saw what all transpired. It wasn't that big a deal. (laughs) Right. And so I'll just, I'll look at that child right now. and say, thanks for sharing that with me. And I'll just walk away. And uh, they just kind of stand there for a moment thinking, well, maybe it wasn't that big a deal. And it wasn't. And I also have, I have what I called an arguing center because I had things structured in, in activity centers, I might have four or five groups working at the same time in the gym. And I, once I got through my initial instructions, got the group set and got things moving, here's the rule. If you and I and seven other kids were together in a center and you and I decided we were going to argue about something and take those other five people time away from them of doing stuff. I would simply look at you two and I would point and that meant you get out of that center, you go over to the arguing center, you two solve your problem, then you can come back, but we're not going to penalize those five people who are following instructions and doing what they're supposed to do. They're not going to stand there and listen to you two knuckleheads argue. And that worked really well because most of the time when I pointed they never would leave because they'd immediately decide it wasn't anything to argue about. And, uh, I just have very few problems. Uh, occasionally a child's going to lose their temper and, uh, that's real. You got to deal yeah, with yeah. it. Yeah. We you get you can't yeah. let a child physically abuse another child. Right. And if someone, if someone ever threw blows or anything like that, or really got, you know, to the point where they shove somebody into the wall on purpose and that kind of thing. Uh yeah, I, 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 I took a little, little harder step with that. Uh, I've even shut the whole class down before and, uh, made a call to the office and, uh, had them come and get, you know, a couple of folks and, you know, explain to them right then what happened. I, I needed them out of that situation and I'd be up a little bit later and we'd deal with it. But, uh, very seldom had to do that. Uh, but it's just, you know, you, you can read the behavior patterns of your of your kids. And if, and if they know that, you know, you're watching them not to get them in trouble, but to help them understand the importance of being polite and being considered and being the best person they can be then they buy into that. It becomes their class. You know, I, I, I talk to them in such a way, even though I'm setting the guidelines, I make them feel like they've agreed with every one of them. So they actually become their guidelines and not mine. And you can do this with kindergarten and first graders. All you got to do, I mean, you just, I mean, I'd have a first grader in tears about once a week, but that's okay. You know, he has to understand something. He, he's not going to tell me no just because that's what he does at home. Uh, I'm not asking a child to do anything that's going to hurt them, not asking them to do anything that's, you know, that they're not capable of doing. But for them to just to buck up and have some temper tantrum because they simply, you know, uh, felt a little bit outplaced out at that time, well, they're going to have to get over that. And you know, it only happens once or twice, and then they're okay. Uh does, does it does it break my heart to see a child with tear running down their cheek? Well, sure it does. But that's you know, that's life. Uh, you know, everything, everything's not, you know, peaches and cream. And uh, you know, uh, but for the most part, the kids would really hate to disappoint me. And but that's because I made them feel like That class was theirs, and the effort I put into it was for them and not for me. And uh, you know they bought they bought into just being well. You talked about the three things you had. Mine was pretty simple. You know, try what I ask you to try. Do the best. Act like you got some sense. That's pretty much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> uh, right. yeah, and I had one sign. Every gym I've ever taught in my whole career, I had just one sign that says "No whining." I <laughs> can't stand whiners. We have more people in this world right now, between the age of twenty five and forty five, that don't do it. I guess they call them millennials. I never seen a bunch of whiners in my entire life right. because they. They've grown up with these video games to where they can hit a reset button when things don't go their way. They want somebody else to solve all their problems. Well, I'm sorry. I've taught kids for the, since 1970. Well, before that, I started helping kids when I was in high school. But I got out of college in 1971. My premise since then, every, every group of children I've ever worked with is to help them to get them to understand they're responsible for who they are. But I also tried to instill a, enough pride in them that they wanted to be, you know, a good person, you know, and, uh, you know, coaching athletics, golly, Pete. Well, I had one of, the, one of the teachers I had Wednesday in the workshops, a young man that, you know, he's 48 years old now. He played football for me when he's in ninth, 10th grade. And now he's teaching high school down here where my, well, he teaches with my, one of my daughter-in-laws and uh, you know, I and I thanked him for all the times that he's seen me and has taken his time to come up and talk to me. And we, we laugh and, you know, we carry on because we had a great time. He had a great time in PE, had a great time playing football for me. And uh, you know, he, he does not have to take his time when he sees me out in public to stop and talk to me, but he does. And uh, I really enjoyed, you know, being able to do a workshop where he was, you know, one of the participants. And uh, yeah, that, that, that meant a lot to me. So, uh, but that's just it, Kevin. I mean, it's just, you know, you got to hold kids accountable. At the same time, you hold yourself
0: accountable.
1: I I set standards for myself pretty high and uh you know it's uh i it's it's nothing difficult i mean you get up in the morning you got some choices to make you know you can to be a good person or a bad person you can whine and cry all day long or you can just smile and you know pick pieces up and get on with your life there's nobody out there who doesn't have concerns you know all of us have things in our life that are disappointing and that are nagging and you know Take away from some things we'd like to do from time to time, but that's just that's just how life is. I mean, it's uh, you know, being humans, uh, and all the emotions that we have to deal with, and all the things around us. Uh, you know, it's 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 a pretty complicated thing. To, you know, to, to just be alive, but it can also be extremely enjoyable and rewarding every day if you'd let it. Yeah, you know, I played yeah I played golf last two days. I'm going to play tomorrow. I know I'm playing Wednesday, Thursdays, a maybe, uh, <laughs> I'm jealous. So, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I like I told you earlier on in this, in this podcast, I came from a welfare family in the coal fields of West Virginia. And to look back to where I am now and where I came from, oh, I can't help but smile. Uh, it would have been so easy for me to give up, you know, as I didn't have a, I didn't have a whole lot of, a, you know, things around me. The environment I grew up in wasn't one that, you know, encouraged me to go out and do much else other than be 17, 18 years old and join the, join the army. Uh, because that's what all the people around us did. Uh, but for some reason or another, I, I was the first person in my family to, decide to go to college and do something besides the service. And I'm pleased to say that, you know, all the members of my family since have, you know, uh, gotten college degrees. And um, so I guess, you know, from where we started to where we all ended up, we, we, we did okay. But, uh, but, you know, the, the the relationship with other people is what it's all been about. Uh, It hasn't, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with, winning ball games or any, any of that kind of stuff, even though, you know, that's fun. And I enjoyed it. uh, Played really well in golf today. I actually shot one under par. So uh, too bad.
0: I was going to try to get a game with you, but not now you're going to have to give me some strokes.
1: (laughs) Oh, Hey, but it's, it's, you know, uh, golf's one of those games too, where, you know, I'd play with little boys a plus two handicap bless his heart. I mean, he was within five or six inches of having probably eight or nine birdies a day. He ended up at one. And he, did, he had one of those days, he looked at me, he said, this is so frustrating. I said, yes, it is. I said, it's that kind of game. I said, you know, tomorrow, tomorrow, you might hate it, but the next day you'll love it again. So and that's kind of what teaching will do to you sometimes, you know, even with the passion I have, you know, I told you earlier, there have been days I've walked out of school, I thought, dang, you know, why, why did I even come here? Uh, I mean, you, just, you have days that just beat you up, and, and if you sit down for about 20, 30 minutes, you can pretty quickly figure out why that day was that way, and most of the time, it'll point back to what kind of preparation you had for that day yeah like I said, my worst days were when I tried to go in and just pull it all off the top of my head, yeah, and yeah is, uh, I mean even even with as much as I've done, and supposedly that I know you know you just can't uh, I, I, I just can't do that I'm, I'm not comfortable. I feel like I've cheated you know cheated the people I'm working for, and I feel like I've cheated myself. Uh, so that's, I guess that's why I've just gotten so anal about time and making sure things are organized and, you know, keeping the kids busy and occupied and, and, you know, want, want them to leave with a smile on their face. So, cause I want to leave with a smile on my face.
0: Yeah. That's a great philosophy to have on, um, and, and and preparation is the key. Um, and, and I want to talk to you about that. I want you to construct me, really, not not you don't have you don't have to put it all in detail, but construct with me a a a nine week lesson plan lesson plan for elementary. Now I already have what I do, but I'm always looking for how will you put together a nine week lesson plan for fourth and fifth grade, and and, and I'll tell you what I do, and I want to hear your comparison. Um, I do. I do something different every week, and I am I have a games approach to how I teach. I want kids to go in there. They're always asking about my different games, but I do something different each week. How would you design a nine-week program?
1: Well, you know, uh, probably not much different. Uh, I may have an intention of – I focus in on a group of skills, which allows you to – Give you an endless number of approaches as far as activities. I'm basically a games-oriented teacher myself. Uh, there are some people who play games just to occupy the time, right? And they and they think they're teaching. Well, my games are structured to reinforce basic skill development that I've taught the children, and uh, sometimes just wrote you know, throwing and catching drills or shooting drills at the basket or handling a hockey stick or, you know, something like that before you actually get into game activities. You know, sure. give, give, give the kids a basic skill set, you know. But I think I think a games-oriented approach is a, is a great way to go as long as your games are designed and structured to reinforce your overall instruction. If you're just playing games for game's sake, uh, I don't think that's wholesome. Uh, I think I think the kids will enjoy it, but I, I'm not sure that you're going to be able to get them to understand the real value that you're trying to get across to them. Because the challenge, the challenge of skill development, especially when you add games to it and you put a certain amount of you know competition in it, you know. It, be, it goes so far beyond the skill development. That's when you get into the people skills. Right, that's, when you might, sure. that's, when, that's when you get into this, this cognitive understanding of, of how much energy and time and devotion it took to learn those skills and how important it is to appreciate what you can do. But it's even more important to appreciate what someone else can do. You have to make them good I'd say patrons who can watch someone and appreciate what they do, whether it be good or bad. You know, I, I tried to train kids, especially when I got up four, fifth, sixth grade to watch their classmates participate in a very compassionate way. If someone wasn't very good, we didn't make fun of them. We would critique it and then we would help one another I'd assign kids who had, like, you know, if you were having trouble, you know, just simply dribbling a basketball, and I got Johnny Wizard over here who can dribble between his legs, behind his back, you know, blindfolded three or four balls at a time, then I would put you in a group with two or three kids like that, and they would actually try to help you instead of make fun of you. And, you know, over a nine-week period, you know, focuses on different sets of skills. Uh, I did always did a combination of fitness skills, rhythms, uh, and, uh, you know, when you mix and match those things and, uh, you know, it just get, it gives the children such a variety. You're going to, you're going to hit a high spot for every child that you have. And that's very important. There's gotta be, you know, I've, I've had, I've had fifth graders bless their hearts. I've been trying to teach them jump rope since they were in kindergarten. They still couldn't do it. <laughs> well, yeah.
0: Let me let me let me interrupt really quick. Yeah. I'm trying to do this year the jump roping skill, and I want to I want to hear your explanation. Um, I love personally. I learned how to jump rope when I was really really young, so I take pride in teaching our kids how to jump rope. It that's one of my goals this year. We do what we call the jump rope club. You got to try to jump rope for one minute, two minutes, or whatever. Um, kids are not jump roping; it's just not part of the culture anymore. Why well, they play video games, Bud? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just jump roping like a foreign, it's like a foreign exercise, and it's been a struggle. But I'm staying with it. What do you think about our jump rope skills? And and it's being taught how to jump
1: rope, but a lot of it's just perseverance, man. You just got to do it all. Oh, that's it. That's it. And and it's one of those things, it's it's a lot more visual for kids than what we realize. For a kid to track that rope when it comes over top of their head and time when they need to jump, uh, some kids, that's where they struggle with it most because some kids just aren't real good visual learners. Hmm. And the ones who have the most trouble jumping rope that i found are those types of children. Now, I've got a dear friend who travels all over the world, Mark Rothstein. I don't know if you've ever, you know, he's, he is the the jump rope guru. Mark Rothstein. Stuff, yeah, he does stuff with a jump rope. It's just not humanly possible.
0: <laughs> but anyway,
1: if, if you have access to any of his stuff, what I'm going to do, I'm going to get your email, and I'm going to uh, – well, I've got your email. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, sir. I'm I'm going to send you some contacts of some folks as a follow up to all this that you need to get in touch with. Rothstein, uh I mean he's just he's phenomenal. Uh you know, I got a dear friend who's Mr. Basketball in the state of West Virginia that you need to get on this cot this podcast. Uh you know, he's you know, he uh very very Oh, talented gentleman who's devoted his life to, to, to basketball and other things. Uh, and he was AP English teacher and a principal, and he's still uh, – he and I well, – he's, he's my best friend, and, you know, we get together, you know, a couple times a year. Uh, but uh, anyway, I, I'm going to follow up with some of this, but but not right. get away from the structure for the nine-week nine thing. Uh, I would do so many things in a nine-week unit knowing that I'm only going to have those kids for those 45 days. Oh, golly. And those 45 days is – we'd probably – well over 100 different activities. Easily. Yeah. Easily. And uh, – but they would be – they'd be centered around skill development. Now, here's what I do with fitness. I'm not a big fitness test person. Right. Never have right. been. There will be. I've used fitness tests to make kids aware of the importance of being concerned about their level of fitness and well-being uh, as far as recording results and doing the presidential challenge and all that stuff. And, you know, the fitness gram, I just I just never got into that uh, mainly because of time, right? Of time. time. Exactly right. But, but I would use bits and pieces of several different fitness test programs to, to help. And it was something that would, it, it, it's, it went all year through the program. I wouldn't do just like fitness things for a couple of weeks and that was it. I mean, we talked about fitness stuff constantly, uh, you know, this, this theme of healthful living, you know, it's, it's a constant thread through everything that, that, that I did. And, uh, and like the the game situation, uh, you know, I got to where keeping any kind of score or anything just became totally irrelevant, uh, you know, it just and eliminated arguing and fussing and carrying on. And, you know, you just, uh, you know, we just play. And uh, just like at winners' court game, you yeah. know, there's three or four ways I could tell you, you can keep score, but none of them are necessary. The kids get so the kids get so involved in just playing they really don't care what score is. And uh, So Don,
0: are you more non-competitive? Is that the right term?
1: Because I oh, or no no, no, no no, I we have competition about everything we did. Okay. This didn't make a big deal out about winning and losing. Right. Competition to me is you being able to take the skills that you have today, apply them to this activity. Now we might, we, we might keep a score, but it doesn't mean anything really. It's just, it's just to keep your mind focused on what we're doing. But let's say, let's say we're doing winner's court that you're familiar with. You just used okay. We're not keeping score, but we're going to play. And what I do, I number the kids on each team, their serving order i don't let anybody serve two times in a row mm-hmm. and uh so you know you're you're focused on your group performing as well as they can against each group you face on the other side of that net and within your group i'm hopefully got you focused on using the skills that you have to the best of your ability and when it's all over and done with and we sit and talk about it well, sometimes you'll have one group that just steamrolls everybody. It just happens that way. And then other days, you'll have three teams that are, you know, it just turns out they're fairly equal that day. Everybody's biorhythms were on the right track. And, you know, everybody was hitting hitting their best shots and moving around the court and not stumbling over one another. And uh, But anyway, when the discussion comes, and I'd always have a discussion after these activities, and you know it would be okay. You know what? What some really neat things we saw today. You know, how how did you feel about how you did? How did you how did you feel about the other teams? And you were only allowed to make positive comments. Now you can be critical in a positive way. You know you might say, well, you know uh, those guys over there, you know they they uh they were really good today, maybe not quite as good as they were yesterday, but they were really good today. <laughs> you know <laughs> you, you're letting them know that they didn't have their best stuff today and and that's letting those other children know that somebody is recognizing and watching what they're doing. There's nothing more precious than a child understanding that somebody cares about what they're doing uh, competitive wise. No, I've never shunned away from competition. I encourage kids to be competitive, but for the main reason of gathering and understanding and appreciation for the skills involved and how much energy and time and devotion it takes to develop those skills. Uh, you know, and that's, that's just a whole different side. You know, uh, a lot of coaches simply just, they coach to win, uh, Winning's okay. It's not great. Ask Duke. North Carolina throttled them twice. Yes, Zion Williamson didn't play. But their team fell completely apart. And I blame a lot of that on the coach. You bring all these schools to your university, these kids to your university on scholarship, and you play about five or six of them. And then when it's crunch time and you need the other four, well, they don't have a clue what's going on. They've just been practice players. Well, that's a disgrace. Some of these college coaches make me and you look like geniuses. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, you yeah. give me, you give me, you know, $30 that's million. Another dollars that's another podcast, right? Hey, that's good. Gonna... <laughs> <laughs> um, but,
0: uh, but anyway,
1: it's controversial, Don. I think you're talking about Coach K now. Hey. Man came home from a national championship. He lost with three timeouts in his pocket.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. And nobody says a word, though.
1: Hey. Nobody says a word. (laughs) Right. It is what it is. Yeah. You know, he's one of the greatest there is. But, you know, they overcoach. I'm sorry. There's a lot of high school coaches that overcoach. It's a simple game. You only play five people at a time. Right. Yeah. You got one ball. You got one ball, 10 people on the floor. How complicated can this be? You know, uh, and, you know, the basket's been the same height ever since the game was evolved. So, uh, you yeah, know, that was the neatest thing about the movie Hoosiers, where the guy had the kids measure the 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 basketball mm-hmm. rim to the floor, you know. Uh, yeah, it was a bigger gym. But <laughs> same size floor, same size basket. Let's play ball, boys. And that's mm-hmm. what you do in you know, your PE classes, uh, you know, you just, you gotta, you gotta have that knack for, you know, structuring those things so the kids are comfortable every day they come in, uh, regardless of what the activities are. Uh, I, there were some, some weeks, you know, I mean, I, you know, I've had like the senior high, I'd have those kids for a semester and, uh, you know, I'd see them. See him five days a week, and there were weeks I never did the same thing two days in a row. I mean, I had these kids, you know, they would they would come in, and and then there were other weeks where I do an act, you know, I do a certain set of sports skills for a couple weeks at a time. But they just were never quite sure. But they could bet on one thing: it was going to be something that challenged them in a positive way, and it was something they could be successful at if they were willing to put forth a little bit of effort and uh, I, I think that challenge has to be there. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be so easy that it's immediately attainable, but it doesn't have to be so difficult that they can never get it. Yeah. You know, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, it does. And I, I was actually listening to um, a podcast from the, it's called shape. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Uh, oh yeah. Shape organization. And they had a, They had an instructor on there who's one of the best, and I think he's actually out of West Virginia. I I forgot his name. I should, I should know it. But um, he was saying that he does his curriculum over a three-year period where he doesn't overlap. They do different activities where they don't do the same activity in those three years, right? And I love that. I love that because I think variety is important to keep the kids kind of excited about the newness, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know if I could go that long without doing some things over and all because there's just some things, you know, and I keep hating mentioning that winner's court, but it's, yeah. every now and then you got three or four activities, you know, uh, that, that can be your carrot. Uh, you hang that carrot out there in front of those horses every now and then just reel them back in and really get their attention. You know, if things start going a little South, yeah. uh, you've had a couple of bad days, uh, they walk in, see the net. You got them back. <laughs> uh, exactly. You know. Uh, yeah, let's but, talk. About, yeah, like yeah. yeah there's through. just. Yeah,
0: I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Don. I'm yeah, sorry.
1: Well, there's just you know, I still contend that if if your heart's in the right place and you have a, a good basic understanding of growth and development of the age group you're working with, uh, you know, you can you can do a good job. You can do a great job. Uh, you can be a master teacher, uh, but those things have to align, and you got to be patient. It's not going to happen overnight. I've got two or three young teachers that I'm trying to help right now, and uh, you know they they they're experiencing the frustration. I mean they they know me, they know you know my reputation and how I've done things and the successes I've had, and it's hard for me to get them to understand that. You know, uh, it was probably 18 years into my teaching career before I really had a uh, well-established, you know, pattern philosophy that, that took me on through. And that, and that philosophy has grown and changed and been molded uh, by different situations I've been in, different people I've met, different things I've learned. It's, it's got to be open-ended. Uh, if you ever get to the point where you think you know all you have to know, uh, you're dead in the water. I'm on, sure. I'm on i com- I'm on a computer constantly looking for new, new things to do. Uh, you talk about stealing stuff. It's not, you know, you know, we're not, not necessarily stealing it. We're just, you know, we're using it. Uh, I don't know that anything's original. Uh, you know, we all put our twist on different things that we see and learn. And, uh, and that's what it's about. And I encourage people to share what they know with other people. Yeah. You know, don't, you know, don't, don't have some neat little thing and, you know, shelter it and act like, well, you know, somebody's going to find out your secret. Well, if you're going to keep it a secret, don't use it anymore. You know, just, you know, it couldn't be that great anyway if you think it's a secret.
0: And some uh, of the activities, done are on Twitter. PE, I'm oh, telling you, Twitter Oh yeah. of the best he, I've I, coaches that I, I had no clue who they were. There's some great PE teachers out there that are sharing information. Don't you think?
1: Oh yeah, we got two boys here in North Carolina, Joe Weaver and Gabe Irvin. They're big time Twitter guys, and all those all those folks on Open. Uh, you know Brian Devore, Jim Deline, you know Sarah Brickhouse, you know Ben Landers. You know okay. we'll see. I'm gonna be with Ben this weekend. He's he's part of the program that I'm going to be involved with this weekend. And I, just, awesome. I just met him. I just met him in October. I, I haven't really seen him present. And so this weekend will be the first chance I'll see him actually work and present some activities. And, uh, you know, uh, here I am. I mean, I, I'll be 70 years old in July. And I'm still as excited as I was when I was 20. And I only I only wish and hope that people who are listening out there that that teach and coach that by the time you reach 70 years old you still have the same type of passion burning in your heart for working with the kids that I do uh it's been a blessing and uh you know I just uh you know education's hard uh all this assessment stuff that's been poured on us the last 15-20 years is Gotten completely out of hand, but that's another podcast in itself as well. I'm not going. I'm not going to grab that soapbox tonight. But, yeah. uh, but anyway, you know, uh, and I've rambled a lot, and uh, you know, I, I apologize for making this more difficult for you than it needed to be.
0: Not not at all. Hey, Don, I'm actually going to a conference this Friday with uh, Pete Charette, uh, JD Hughes, and Dave Cynical. These are all. Cor- teachers out here in this area you probably know all those guys
1: um well i just i just gave okay the p.e conference i mentioned share the wealth. yeah uh i'm fortunate enough there's an award that they named after myself and a dr john merriman who from valdolston state university who who saved share the wealth and uh so it's called the merriman pocket award and i just gave that award to dave Senecal back in january at share the wealth at the day and, yeah, and I've and I've also given the same award to J.D. Hughes. Uh, I don't know, I don't know Pete, uh, but it, uh, in talking with J.D. and Dave about their upcoming workshops, uh, they you know Pete is uh, a real good friend of theirs, and the three of them are excited about getting this up and running. And I would encourage those folks out there who are listening, if you see some material out there about their workshops, it's definitely worth your while to go. Uh, I've been very fortunate. Uh, JD and I have shared, a, shared a lot of time together, uh, presenting together and talking. And, uh, you know, I've, I take a lot of pride in the fact that I've, I've helped him get involved in some areas of presenting that, you know, otherwise he may not have been exposed to. And uh, that's part of, you know, the deal I've had in the last, you know, 38 years. I've I've been able to get some some folks involved in making presentations that I'm not sure they would have taken that leap or not. You know, I mentioned Gabe Irwin and and Joe Weaver here in North Carolina. Uh, here the last three or four years, well, those those two boys are working a lot with Open now, and uh, you know they're going all over the country and doing things. And it's just been fun to watch these young guys develop. But I'm I'm at the end of this. Uh, there's gotta be some they gotta be some young people carry this on and and uh, it it's really exciting for me to to see that caliber of you know, these guys are master teachers. And uh, and on top of that, they're just oh, they're they're just super people. You're talking about real down to earth human beings. But I told you the other day what I wanted you to do. I want you and you know, if they're listening, I'm sorry, but you you go up to JD. You go up to JD when you see him at the workshop and ask him, say, "Hey, buddy, you Dom Puckett?" <laughs> so he'll, he'll get a kick out of that.
0: <laughs> yeah. And matter of fact, uh, JD, um, he told me he's going to be available in April. I'm getting him on in, on the uh, podcast in April. So oh good. good. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had some really good. I'd been on earlier, and Ben was great. So tell Ben, I said hello. I will. Uh, he's one of the best man. I, I tell you, his website is unbelievable.
1: Well, he's- see, I, I'm, I'm too far along. I, you know, I, I don't do Twitter, and I don't have a website, and, you know, that's another thing I've admired about these guys. They've taken advantage of all this technology and what's out there in different ways to communicate in a wholesome way. Uh, there's a dark side of Twitter, which I detest. Uh, you know, it has nothing to do with physical education all these people in physical education, you know, they use it in such a wholesome and a gratifying way. Uh, but, but Twitter at some point in time, I bet somewhere today, if we could actually pin it down, there's someone who probably would be classified as an extremely intelligent person ruined their life because they said something stupid on Twitter. Uh, Exactly. Right. Yeah. Uh, Uh, but I'm glad to say that doesn't happen with PE folks. And, uh, And that's that's why it's been such a a great gig for me all my life to hang out with, you know, that that caliber of folks. And, uh, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to beat a population that's that's concerned about things other than themselves. And a vast majority of teachers are that way, whether it's P.E. or any other subject. If you get up every morning and you're going to a school to work as a teacher, even if you're the worst teacher in the building, you're still a good person. Uh, you know, and, you know, that, and the worst teacher can get better, uh, but, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's, it's very, very gratifying, you know, to have, you know, that, I don't know, I, my, my buddy, I mentioned, it's the basketball man up in West Virginia. He, he calls me the biggest Pollyanna he's ever met because (laughs) I, I don't, uh, Oh, I get upset about things, but I don't hang on to them i don't I don't carry a lot of baggage around i don't just don't have room for it in my life uh I'll get disgusted about something for a short period of time, but I let it go uh too many too many good things I can get up in morning and do besides complain about stuff
0: absolutely yeah, I agree yeah you're you still got the positive approach man and i and I appreciate you sharing. Um, With our audience and me and I and I uh, but I do have two more questions for you, because I know you got to go and I know it's getting late. Um, If you were putting a presentation together, give me and if I was there, I want your your top three P.E. activities that you would you would tell me as an elementary teacher, give me your top three activities that you can teach me. I know it's kind of hard to say it over the phone, but what are your top three activities you would want
1: to have your elementary kids do? Well, Lord, (laughs) Uh, let's see. (laughs) Uh, Well, I'm going to give you three good ones. One you've already mentioned. One you've already mentioned, Winter's Court. Okay. Simply because, because I can start the fundamentals of that with kindergartners and build on it all the way up through adults. All right. Another one is what I call it's – it's a throwing and catching activity called quarterback rescue. I
0: love that. Our kids played that the other day. I forgot yeah. to tell you. <laughs>
1: and, and see, that's another one that you can start as kindergartners and, and develop those skills in different distances right. of throwing and the different things. I even get into punting the ball as well as throwing and catching it, right? Uh, as the skill levels develop, uh, a third one probably would be Danish rounds. It's like a softball, baseball lead-up game. Okay. And uh, I quick, quick synopsis here: uh, you got a batting team, fielding team. Batting team has four minutes to bat. Okay. They have a line. They have a line, and you hit the ball off the tee. All right, fielders field the ball, and there is a designated catcher in a hoop outside of the first baseline, actually off the playing field. All right, every ball that's hit by the batting team has to be fielded and thrown to the catcher. Now, the runner has a choice to make. They can run as far as they want to run, first, second, third, all the way home if they want to. But when that catcher catches the ball, I blow a whistle. If you're not on a base when the whistle blows, you're out. You simply come to the back of the batting line. Now, the batting team can have more than one person on a base at a time. You might have five people on first base. I gotcha. And, and the next person hits the ball, three of them might run, two of them might stay there. Those other two didn't think they could make it to second before the catcher got the ball and see the batting team that goes on for four minutes and you can just keep one of those flip scores you know when the kid makes it they don't come all the way back across home plate i have a line out to the side of home plate so they won't run over the batter you know when they cross that line then they flip a score over and uh four minutes you know fielding team comes a batting team and uh it just uh you know you make kids rotate around the field i mark certain spots you know if i'm in the gym i will actually put some four tape down okay and I'll, and i'll make make the fielders you know start in those spots to keep them all from crowding up around where the batter is i actually try to teach them fielding positions you know with this and uh, that one i don't do with kindergartners first graders can handle it and the higher the grade level goes, I mean, the excitement. I mean, and and you would think when, I, if you, let's say you got a class of 25 kids, you got 12 kids batting, 13 in the field. In four minutes, all 12 of those kids are probably going to hit the ball two or three times. And uh, it's, it's, it's quick paced. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. I actually learned that from a good friend of mine up in New Jersey. Uh, he's, he's a principal now up New Hampshire, a boy named Jim Ross. Okay. and uh, But, uh, you know, you talk about stealing stuff. But, uh, yeah, Danish mm-hmm. rounds, Danish rounds, winner's court, quarterback rescue, those are home run hitters. And those are only three of about a 1,000. <laughs> I love that. You know, it's funny. I, I got two out of
0: those three, but you know what? We've actually played Cone Tip, which is – Oh, yeah. And um, I, I'm trying to – I think Danish probably is better. Probably more uh, running.
1: Well, the comb tip's just a lead up to how they can get used to running the bases. Right, right. And uh, you know, it's it's a it's a great one as well. And then you, you couple that with some fitness things, some skill development, a little little rhythm and dance. Uh you got your nine week program, bud. Oh, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. Well, I tell you, I I mean I have
0: I, I'm an activity guy and that is um, I do a lot of stuff with my kids. Sometimes I feel like I'm not focusing enough, uh, but I do believe uh, in the daily lesson plans of of the skill development. The, I do an instant activity every day. The kids come walking in. The, we, do it, we do an activity right from the get-go, no wasted time, um, just to keep them moving. And then we talk. Then we go skills. Then we go – Act, then we go game activity, then we go closure. Um, and that's my last question. How do you design your daily lesson plans?
1: Well that's you pretty much got it in a nutshell. Uh you gotta have you got to have an opening way you got to have a consistent way to open. Uh your your middle instruction, you know, uh trying to minimize the time I spend giving instructions, I don't want to take away from participation. But then there needs to be some kind of closure. Even if it's just 30 seconds, you've got to thank the kids every day. There's probably never been, I won't say never because you never should never say never, but most likely there've been very few classes that have ever left a gym that I taught in or a teaching area where I didn't pull them together and thank them for what they did that day, all the way through senior high school. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's very important. Uh, those kids have to understand that you appreciate the effort that they're putting forth. And, uh, but yeah, you know, you're, you're consistent opening, uh you know structure with you know even even if you just you know you have you come in you do your instant activity and you immediately go into a game you you don't need to do the skill stuff you know they've already covered it they're ready to play that game even if you spend the vast if you got a 30 minute class and you spend twenty two of it playing winner's court hey bud that's a home run <laughs> yeah, uh, and yeah. uh, and, uh, and you don't and folks don't need to feel guilty about that. You know, it's, uh, as long as you close things down with a legitimate, sincere, thank you. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, can't go wrong with that. You know, Robert, it's, that. it's, it's worked for me since I started helping out that, you know, the elementary kids when I was in the seventh grade and that was way back 1961, 62. So it's been yeah. a long haul. <laughs> I was born in sixty-four, so Yeah. Well see, I, I was teaching PE before you were born. But I wasn't but I wasn't at 13 years old.
0: <laughs> hey, 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 you're a wise sage, man. You're just uh, that's why I, that's why that's why I got you on the podcast, man. Kind of gain that wisdom. Hey, I finish my class every day with student of the day. I have them sign a board. What's your philosophy on that? I just feel like I, I like to honor certain kids. Is that is that Something you would do, or is that something that w- w- you see a lot of teachers doing that? It, uh... Coaches, <clears throat> I hope you love this this podcast with Coach Don Puckett. I think he's one of the great all-time PE teachers. And uh, I always appreciate uh, PE teachers who have been doing it for a long time. Uh, I've been doing it, this is my 29th year, but Don's been doing it for 38 years. Um, and he was one of the first all-time uh, PE presenters that went around the country and uh, presented p e ideas and p e games uh and now there's just so many great p e teachers out there and Don was kind of the first of the first man i mean he he started the he started the um you know the the p e presentation curriculums that uh if you go to Jekyll Island. and and places like that where they have these big-time conferences. He was one of the first to start it, so it was a treat to listen to him, and you can really tell that um, he cares about the kids, number one. And uh, just by listening to uh, what he went through as a kid and his background and so forth. So, hey, if you need any resources, contact championshipvision.org. I'd be glad to help you. If you need any resources on any topic, whether that's physical education or Uh, basketball, please contact me at championshipvision.org. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and I'm looking forward to my next podcast, which is coming out very soon. Thank you.